Call for Action presents Of Consuming Interest, a public service show that discusses scams, deceptive offers, and other consumer concerns. Here's the director of WJLA 7 Call for Action and your host, Shirley Rooker. The Federal Communications Commission impacts so many areas of our lives. For example, the agencies providing funds to help restore the communications networks in Puerto Rico and the U.S. Virgin Islands that were devastated by Hurricane Maria. It has just levied its largest fine ever against a Florida man for robocalls. Yay! It's also proposed regulations to prevent cramming and slamming of our phone bills. And we're going to talk about broadband depo- uh, deployment and rural in the rural areas. So lots of things of interest to consumers, Chairman. We're welcome here to Con- Federal Communications Commission Chairman Pai, Ajit Pai. Chairman Pai, it is such a treat to have you on. Oh, thanks so much for having me back. Now, these are some very in- great uh, issues to talk about, and I think consumers particularly are going to be interested in some of the things that you're doing to help preventing a, uh, prevent us from getting ripped off. But first, let's talk about the initiative to provide funding to help those devastated islands from the, the hurricane. Not only were they hit by Maria, but they were hit by Irma as well. So I guess Maria did the most devastation in Puerto Rico. But tell us what, what's going going to happen here? Well, thanks for the question. And there's no doubt that uh, Hurricane Maria has wrought some of the worst devastation that we've seen from a, a storm or any natural disaster in perhaps living memory. Uh, I personally have been on the phone constantly with some of the carriers down there, with the Puerto Rican authorities, with my counterparts at FEMA and other agencies to do everything we can. And one outgrowth of that uh, was an order that we recently adopted. I proposed it on Monday. We adopted it on uh, Tuesday that will deliver approximately $76 million dollars to some of the telephone companies and uh, other telecom carriers in Puerto Rico to help them rebuild the networks. Uh, Obviously, when communications networks are down in a situation like this, it almost literally leaves uh, all these folks stranded without any way to communicate with the outside world. So we want to get those networks up and running as quickly as possible. And our hope is that this funding uh, will give them the flexibility to do that. And uh, we're, we're very grateful for their cooperation in helping this to happen. How will it be distributed? Is it going directly to the carriers who are impacted? Or how, how are the funds going to be deployed? How are they going to be distributed to the Islands. It, yes, it will go directly to the carriers. Right now, they participate in a program known as the Universal Service Fund. And what we do is we, on a periodic basis, give them funding, federal subsidies, essentially, uh, for building out uh, some of these networks and maintaining them. We had the idea, well, what if we accelerated the funding that they would get over the next seven months into one upfront lump sum payment? And instead of having very arcane rules, well, you can build out in this area, you can't build out in that area with these funds, allow them to bring to use those funds to repair and restore their networks. And our understanding from what they've told us and uh, from prior experience is that this will give them the flexibility to get those networks uh, running as quickly as possible, because right now uh, there is literally no communication in a huge swath of the island. Well, you know, the problem with that, of course, is if you need emergency help or anything, there's no way to call for it. So, you know, not only does it cut us off from our family and friends, but it cuts us off from all the help that we need if we're in, in a dire strait. So, yeah. I applaud your efforts. This, I, 
Is that going to be enough money? Or it's going to, probably going to take a lot more than that to get this poor island in its communications network, which looks to me like it's been almost totally destroyed. Oh, it's it's just an incredible. I, and I you know, haven't had a chance to visit there myself, of course, but uh, from what I've heard from the folks who are on the ground and some of the pictures we've seen, it, it is unlike anything that we've seen over the past couple of months in Harvey, uh, in, in South Texas, or even in Irma in South Florida. It's just uh, a level of devastation we haven't seen before. Still, right. almost 90% of the cell sites are out across the across mm. the island. So uh, we're going to have to think creatively uh, here at the FCC and across government, I think, about ways to help uh, some of the poor folks in Puerto Rico and the Virgin islands too i don't want to leave them out but yeah. they also suffered under maria their their devastation i don't think was quite as bad as puerto rico but terrible terrible devastation well let's let's go on and talk about some of the other issues that affect consumers uh, of course what you've just described is a very big one that impacts a lot of our populace so anyway um robocalls yeah oh, we gosh. hate them yeah. <laughs> you you know, and people say to me, well, why doesn't the do not call registry prevent them? And I say, you know, these are crooks calling. They don't care right. if there's a do not call registry. So they don't care at all. But tell us about this fine. You all are trying to levy a fine if it's upheld by the courts. And I'm hoping for you that against a Florida man for robocalls. And boy, did he have a scam going on. Oh, it's unbelievable. And it just drives me crazy, not just as a regulator, but as a consumer who gets these robocalls constantly on my work phone. It's just, it's unbelievable. So this gentleman who is based in Florida uh, unleashed in just the last three months of 2016, over 100 million robocalls on American consumers. And just one person in one state uh, doing all this damage. And so we imposed a fine, or we proposed a fine of $120 million, the largest fine in the FCC history. And to me, it was warranted not just by the law, but by the fact that this is the number one area of consumer complaints, and he was perhaps the most notorious robocaller we've ever seen. And so we wanted to send a message, not just to him, but to anyone who is using these robocalls as a business model, that this FCC is a cop on the beat, and we are not going to stand for consumers getting annoyed, or even worse, scammed out of their hard-earned money. Do you have any idea how much money he collected from all these? It's really difficult to get a handle on it because not everyone who has been scammed um, would necessarily file a complaint about it. Uh, sometimes some of the victims don't want ne- authorities to know yeah. because they feel embarrassed. And so you know, we want to do everything we can to you know, put a dent, obviously, in his bottom line and hopefully to try to you know, give some of the consumers who are scammed a, a sense of relief, if not restitution. Well, something that I read said that, that you all were really alerted to a lot of this, not only from complaints from consumers, but by by a couple of companies that were impacted. Uh, Can you tell us about those? Absolutely. And here I am so grateful to the team at TripAdvisor. One of the things that uh, they found is that uh, some of the robocalls were falsely invoking TripAdvisor's name. And, you know, TripAdvisor has worked so hard over the years to build a brand, and it's very consumer-friendly. And when these scamming robocalls uh, pretend to be TripAdvisor and it turns out to be something it's not, well, that, that hurts the company. So they helped us very much uh, root out uh, some of the, the fraud that was happening as a result of these robocalls. And so I can't thank them enough. And to me, at least, it highlights the fact that this is a partnership with the public sector and the private sector that have to work together cooperatively to try to stop this scam, this, this sort of uh, uh, problem from happening again. Well, you know, it's not only that it robs consumers of money, but it robs us of time. And, you know, unfortunately, uh. I have such a hard time passing up a call. I, You know, there's something about me that says, you're supposed to answer the phone, Shirley, do it. And, you know, so I answer it. But you know what I have learned? 
it doesn't matter whether I answer it and hang right up or not. If I've answered it, they know it's a live number. Does that make a difference? It makes a huge difference, and I'm like you. It's uh, part of the problem is that now some of these scammers have the ability to spoof a phone number, and so they can make it seem like it comes from not just your area code, but from the first three digits of your own number. So you might be thinking, well, I don't have it programmed in my phone, but maybe it's the local pharmacy, or maybe my child's uh, teacher at school wanted to call about an issue. So you answer the phone, and it's a double whammy. Number one, as you said, you waste your own time, and number two, that is an alert to some of these folks. Okay. Hey, there's a human being on the other side of, uh, of this call who's willing to answer the phone, and that just sends you down this rabbit hole of, of problems. So, and Let's uh, just take a brief pause here and let our n- listeners know they're tuned in to Of Consuming Interest. I'm Shirley Rooker. My guest is Federal Communications Commission Chairman Ajit Pai, and we're talking about some of the issues the agency works on that helps us as consumers. Um, going back to the robocalls, and I heard one of the scams that, that they would ask the consumer consumer, can you hear me? And if you replied yes, they'd sign you up for all kinds of services. They would record that yes and claim that you actually purchased the services. That's just such a tacky way to do business, honestly. But at any rate, so uh, the advice to consumers is don't answer, but you can't. You know, you just can't because the spoofing issue is one. And I know spoofing is against the law, isn't it? Am I right about that? It, it is, and uh, part of the issue is that uh, some of these scammers, who, especially those who lie abroad uh, for, outside of the U.S. borders, they just don't care about what the U.S. Right. laws exactly. are. So exactly. That's why we are taking steps now to give carriers uh, who are here in the United States uh, more authority to block numbers that are obviously spoofed. And ultimately, we are moving to what is called a call authentication standard, essentially a digital fingerprint for every phone call so that if you get a call on your phone, uh, you will know ultimately, okay, this is the person who it is purporting to be, and you can answer the phone with confidence. That is ultimately ah, where I love go. it. Is that uh, some ways down the road? or, or It is, in all candor. It's very technically difficult, and uh, it's the, the engineering behind it is exceedingly complex, but uh, the long story short is that some really smart folks are working very hard to try to come up with this authentication standard. There are a bunch of different companies, a bunch of different technologies that have to, have to be brought to bear to this, but uh, we have started that conversation, and hopefully before too long, we'll be able to end it. I know that there are a lot of apps. Some of them are free. Some of them charge small fees that you can put on your your cell phone. I think there's probably more options for people with cell phones than there are people with landlines. Like me, I have both, so I you know get a double whammy. Absolutely. And I've met with some of these uh, companies. I was up in uh, Seattle and met an innovative company called Hiya, H-I-Y-A, and they out, they showed us uh, how consumers everywhere are using their app to report uh, in real time uh, the fact of the robocall, where it seems to be coming from, and, and that sort of thing. And they, that company is able to map out for us. You know, here are some hotspots you might want to look at. And there are others, too. Nomo Robo and a few other companies have really done innovative work here. And so uh, I, I'm, we're really grateful to have their support. It's it's an all-hands-on-deck effort, I think, to stop this scourge of civilization. Oh, it, it it's really terrible. It it just it takes away so much from consumers, not only in their money, but time. Now, um, so consequently, oh, I'm, I wanted to mention ctia.org is a great website to go and find. No matter what platform your phone uses, um, you can find the apps that are there. They have an extensive list of apps. I use an Android phone. They had a ton of apps that I could put on my phone to, to block robocalls. So uh, I thought that was pretty cool. That's a great website, ctia.org. I assume you – do you all have stuff like this on your website too, Chairman? 
Uh, we do. If you go to FCC.gov and uh, you look for uh, the Consumer and Governmental Affairs Bureau site, uh, there's a page for consumers that right. will give them as much information as you can handle about all of these issues. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's worth trying because they, they just continue to get more and more robocalls. And I guess part of that reason is it's a, if you get a consumer to fall for it, it's a high payoff for the perpetrator because – they don't invest very much in setting up these computers to just keep dialing phone numbers. Indeed, and it really makes you wonder sometimes. I know it sounds naive, but my gosh, if these folks would just pour some of this creative energy into curing cancer or helping the homeless, I would think we would have society would be so much better off. But, Amen uh, anyway. to that. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, I've thought the same thing, you know, but uh, maybe there's a gene in them that just doesn't allow them to walk the straight and narrow. Who knows? Uh-huh. You know, it, and it really is it is disturbing uh, how they can rip off people. And, you know, there was the whole plague of supposed IRS robocalls where you were being threatened by the IRS and um, oh, oh and this is the one that actually affirmatively makes me angry we found out uh, last year uh, there were public reports about a uh, number of call centers in India uh, nine of, of them I believe that were working together uh, to uh, recall robocall American consumers and they would say I'm an IRS agent and you us owe us a bunch of money and if you don't pay up you're going to lose your home you're going to lose your livelihood everything is going to be bad for you. And some consumers, even if they didn't owe anything, you know, you get a call from, seems to be from the IRS, you're, you know, the hair on the back of your neck stands up a little bit. And so these call centers are raking in something like $150,000 every single day. And so when I had a chance to speak with my counterpart at the Indian FCC, one of the issues I brought up with them was, look, we really need your cooperation in cracking down on these kinds of scams because we can't do it ourselves if it's beyond our borders. And to my, uh, I was very grateful to the fact that uh, he actually agreed, yes, let's collaborate here. We'll get our law enforcement authorities in touch. And we're starting to make progress on that front. It's, it's now an international issue, not just a domestic issue. Oh, yeah, issue. because the technology makes it so easy, no matter where you are in the world, to reach the consumers in the United States. So exactly. it, it certainly does. Do you know where most of the calls come from? Are you able to identify them? Uh, we are able to identify some of them. There are some hotspots. India, unfortunately, is one of them where we see a great number of calls. And uh, it's even amazing. Uh, Haya showed us that uh, the some of the calls that we get from India are on a 9 to 5 basis over there. So people literally go to a building, clock in for work, make robocalls all day, then clock out at 5 p.m. So it's not it's not just uh, you know, sort of somebody staying up all hours of the night. It's actually a job that a lot of people Oh, have. my goodness. So it's, uh, yeah, there's, there's a lot of work to be done and not just here in the United States. Oh, man. Oh, you got it. Well, let's move on to one of those other issues that, you know, this is an issue, the slamming and cramming. This Ugh. this was with us years and years ago, and it was a real plague. Then I think it, at least to my knowledge, it kind of died down a little bit, but it's back with us, isn't it? It is, unfortunately. Describe for our listeners what we mean when we say slamming and cramming. Happy to. Uh, Slamming is the phenomenon where you get a phone call from uh, somebody who says, you know, how would you like to switch your long-distance carrier? And you say, well, no, I'm pretty happy with the way it is. But they go ahead and switch it anyway. That's called slamming. Uh, Now, sometimes uh, if you check your phone bill, you might see some charges on that bill that don't appear familiar to you. And you say, well, I I never authorize these charges. What are these? And these aren't coming from my wireless carrier. And the imposition of those unauthorized charges, that's known as cramming. And so together, slamming and cramming cause huge problems. Obviously, 
basically they just violate consumers' consent, which is the basic problem. But they also take money out of consumers' pockets, and that's why we've taken action to try to crack down on those uh, two uh, phenomena. Okay, um, yeah, and and I like you just recently issued a statement about what you were planning on doing, some of the actions that you're taking or. T- have taken. And we're going to come back and talk about that as soon as we get back from our break. I'll just let our listeners know they're tuned into Of Consuming Interest. I'm Shirley Rooker. My guest is the Federal Communications Commissioner Chair, Consumer uh, consumer Chair. Yeah, Consumer Chair. Yeah, I'm, I'm so wrapped up in consumer problems, I can't even talk. <laughs> <laughs> the Federal Communications Commission Chairman Ajit Pai is talking about some of the initiatives the agency is taking to help consumers on the, the hot button issues for us, the things that really just drive us around the bend. And you have just recently issued a statement on slamming and cramming. So tell us what your goals are here and how it's going to help consumers. So our goals here are pretty much twofold. Uh, first, uh, we want to take very aggressive action, enforcement action against the folks who we find are doing slamming or cramming against consumers. And so we're going to impose fines wherever we see violations of our rules. But the second part of it, uh, and something that we tried to firm up, is the fact that in some cases our rules are a little bit vague, or there might not be rules uh, prohibiting some of these practices. And so what we did a couple of months ago was to put on paper very clear rules that say, that slamming and cramming is against, uh, both of those are against the law. Uh, We codify a ban on misrepresentation. So if someone calls you and says, oh, we're actually from your carrier, but they're not, that's a violation. And the same thing if, you know, somebody goes after you and puts these unauthorized charges on your bill, uh, we put those bad actors on notice that uh, the consumer consent is is the basic standard. So if you violate that standard, you're going to be liable. And I think this is going to give us a much firmer legal foundation going forward uh, to tell all of these unscrupulous actors, look, you're on notice. Uh, The FCC is watching what you're doing, and we're going to take action if you don't do uh, what the rules require. Okay. Now, the the important thing for consumers here is to check those bills and to report them to the FCC immediately. Absolutely. And I know sometimes our inclination, you know, we get so much mail, and even in a bill, there might be several pages, and it takes time to go through. But it's really important that you do that, because you never know what kind of charges might end up on your bill. And if you don't figure out about it, and you don't tell us about it, then we can't know. We can't take action either. And so it's really important for us that consumers take the time to look at those bills and let us know if they see anything that looks awry. All they can do, they can go to the FCC website, FCC.gov. Absolutely. And a, and file a complaint, and that's so easy to do. You all have made it very easy for consumers um, to register complaints. So the biggest thing then for the consumer is just let's underline it. Check your bills. And oftentimes these amounts are kind of small so that they're, the crooks are hoping they're going to escape the notice of the consumer. Exactly, and that's part of the problem. They're not putting a thousand bucks or whatever on your bill. It's just a dollar or two, perhaps. And but if you think about how many millions of consumers there are, well, only a dollar or two adds up pretty quickly. It becomes profitable. So uh, you, people really need to be careful about it and not just write off a dollar or two as the cost of doing business. You really let us know because uh, that could be evidence of uh, somebody who's trying to scam a great many consumers. Yeah, absolutely. Well, likely. I mean, it's more than right. likely that if it's on your bill, it's on a lot of other people's bills 
bills too. So yes, and report it to the FCC.gov website. I mean, they they'll take action, and that's so important. Let's talk about another area, which is is one that I'm not that familiar with, but I know it's something that you all have been working on, and that is how do you get broadband into rural areas and you're considering various options i understand absolutely this is one of my primary passions here at the fcc is closing what i call the digital divide and that is the gap between those who have access to the internet and other advanced technologies and those who don't and i found uh, over the course of my travels throughout the united states that increasingly that divide is an urban rural one that folks in urban areas might have uh, high speed access and choices that folks in rural areas simply don't have and i've seen for myself in places like cape and springs west virginia and mission south Dakota and Durand, Wisconsin, and other places like that, even my hometown of Parsons, Kansas, that a lot of rural areas are being left behind. And as a result, people in those areas don't have a sense of optimism about the future. And I think part of that is, part of the reason for that is that today, in 2017, so much depends on having access to the internet, being able to apply for a job, to start a business with a large customer base, to have your kids be able to do their homework, to be able to see a specialist using telemedicine if there's not a specialist in your area. Even things like precision agriculture. I mean, there's no such thing as a dumb tractor anymore. A lot of these farmers are using advanced technologies. They need it. And so, to me at least, the FCC has a really important role to play in making sure that every American has what I call digital opportunity. And so we're using all the tools in the toolbox to try to make sure that the Internet is built out in all parts of this country. So what are those, you're considering using satellite networks as well? Absolutely. Wiring, okay. Yeah, so uh, from my perspective, I'm technology neutral. I would, I want all of these technologies to be brought to bear. Uh, satellite is uh, really promising. There's some companies that uh, are going to launch a bunch of satellites into space, and uh, they think they can beam those uh, uh, those, those uh, signals back to the Earth in a way that would be pretty much comparable to what you would get from a terrestrial provider. Uh, there are other wireless companies, too, that are doing some really innovative thing uh, things, and there are other companies, too, uh, wired companies, so telephone and cable companies and others that uh, want a chance to uh, compete in some of these areas. So uh, we've got a federal subsidy program that we've opened up for all of these companies to compete for, and uh, we want all of them uh, to have the maximum incentive to build out some of this infrastructure in parts of the country that just don't have it. I think that is, I come from a small town in the mountains down in Virginia, and you don't necessarily have good good coverage in those areas. And so, yes, it does. It makes a world of difference, you know, especially for our young people who are so into technology anyway. Uh, if if you want them to stay that the in the rural areas, that's one way to help them to stay there is to give them access to what the rest of the world has. Oh, absolutely. I mean, even in my home state of Kansas, 77 of Kansas' 105 counties have lost population over the last decade. And I hear it time and time again from folks in these towns that, you know, the young people want to go to the big cities like Wichita and Kansas mm-hmm. City because they, they just can't get the technology that they expect uh, in the places where they've grown up. Well, we live in a connected world, don't we? We do. It's uh, you know, We're not in the world, uh, so it was when I was a kid, where it was three channels on TV and the number two pencil. It's uh, you know, there's People are on their phones, they're on their computers, and uh, yeah, that's it's a very connected world now. It's a very, it's a very different one. Well, what do you see in terms of the deployment? For, is there a large segment of our population that is, is underserved? 
There is. There's a huge uh, population that is unserved altogether, uh, and especially in rural and remote and tribal areas, that's a big problem. And there are areas that are underserved, too. Uh, there might be neighborhoods within urban areas, for example, that uh, there, there might be urban areas that are generally served, but there are pockets that aren't. And so we want to be able to fill in those gaps. And uh, yeah, I've made some proposals uh, last year to Congress to help change that. And uh, I'm really pleased to say that there's bipartisan legislation now pending in Congress. It's called the Gigabit Opportunity Act, uh, sponsored by Senator Capito from West Virginia, a Republican, and Senator Coons from Delaware, a Democrat, and similar legislation in the House. And they're trying to fill in those gaps of the underserved. And that's an exciting that's a development, not just because it's important to get people connected, but you know, bipartisan effort these days is something I think we should applaud and, and Absolutely. welcome. Absolutely. Well, Chairman Pai, it's been such a treat to have you on. Just to listeners know, we've been talking with the Federal Communications Commission Chairman Ajit Pai. We've been talking about a lot of items that are of interest to all of us. We thank you for being on, and you have been listening to Of Consuming Interest right here on Federal News Radio 1500. I'm Shirley Rooker. Of Consuming Interest is a public service program presented by WJLA 7 Call for Action, hosted by Shirley Rooker. Call for Action is an international nonprofit network of hotlines which offer free and confidential assistance. If you have a complaint, contact Call for Action at 301-652-HELP. That's 301-652-HELP.